Hi there, my name is Pete. This is Social Distancer. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for the uh, incredible response from the Coincidence episode last week, 211. Um, a friend of mine summed it up quite uh, snappily by saying, well, you're always on Dartmoor, aren't you? I mean, it's not that much of a coincidence that somebody met you on Dartmoor. You're always in bloody Dartmoor, aren't you? Yeah. And uh, it's a good point. I am always in Dartmoor. Now, tonight on the show, we have a mixture of different uh, events for you, event horizons for you. Um, first of all, we're going to be looking at the cases of COVID-19 in the UK. And then following that, we're going to be looking at Biden's quite moving speech, uh, marking 500,000 deaths to COVID-19 in the United States. And then after that, we're going to be looking at salmon versus sturgeon. Uh, uh, Did I say salmon? (laughs) Salmon. Salmon versus sturgeon. The Old Forest Whitaker, by the way, is so good in the shield. Jesus Christ, he is a great actor, that guy. Forrest. I've always been a big fan of Forrest, ever since I saw Way of the... What's it called? Way of the Samurai? Whatever that film's called. The Jim Jarmusch film. Remember that? He's good in that, isn't he? Yeah, bloody brilliant. And he's brilliant in everything, but he's so good in the shield. And you know who else is really good in the shield? Um, what's her name? That um, oh Christ, what's her name? Glenn Close. Glenn Close comes in season four as the new captain, and gosh, she's brilliant. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, anyway, shield, yeah, worth. But it's very gritty though. If you don't like gritty things, then don't watch this. It's very gritty. And, I mean, really disturbingly gritty. Like, every episode has got, like, a ridiculously disturbing crime in it. Crime in it. Um, and it reminds me of The Wire a lot. It's not as good as The Wire. But it's, it's really good, though. It's really good. Walton Goggins is fantastic in it. And, um, oh, yeah, really good. But Forrest is incredible. There's a scene. I'm not going to do any spot. Uh, actually, I won't say anything about it. But if you're a big Forrest Whitaker fan, then, unfortunately, you have to watch it. If you like it or not, you have to watch it. Um, so anyway, lots to do and also to do. <laughs> the big news, of course, is after Sigurdos, after the outro music, we're going to go into the world of the paranormal blip. And today we're looking at George Knapp, who's a kind of key person in the world of the UFOs and the paranormal research. Um, so yeah, very good. But first of all, this. Have you ever seen the sunshine? No, not pork. Sunshine. I didn't say pork. I know you've seen pork. Is that sunshine? So we've still got a couple of weeks for, um, you know, the R to hopefully go down a little bit more before school's coming back. But although cases are still declining, It's a very patchy picture in the UK at the moment and in some parts of the UK, in the north east and the northwest and in some little parts of the Midlands as well, um, cases are rising, which is not good. Uh, In most of the UK, it's still falling, but because 
you know, it's in some parts, it's rising nationally. It's kind of steady at the moment, which is unbelievable. The rate of decline has slowed a great deal over the last couple of weeks. So that's not good, obviously. And um, Van Tam was on the um, press briefing today, Professor Jonathan Van Tam. Everyone calls JVT. Yeah? Yeah. Um, everyone calls him that. And um, he was saying, don't wreck it now. So, you know, hopefully that's not going to be the case. Hopefully people will kind of, you know, keep on with the difficulty of being in lockdown. And it is really difficult this time. I've spoken to loads of people and I feel it and I can kind of see it in in just my own life. Um, You know, it's become busier now this week. Just because the weather's got a little bit better, it's getting a little bit warmer and it's getting a little bit, you know, it's stopped raining basically and it's getting a tiny bit warmer. So people are going out a lot more. I've really noticed that over the last kind of couple of days. And um, and it's, you know, beginning to pinch or certainly it's been pinching for quite a while now, this lockdown, you know, so people are really desperate to bloody, you know, end it. But hopefully the, the key thing is, you know, you, you, we know about the bloody science of this. If you're outside, if you're social distancing, you're basically safe. Unless somebody sneezes on you. And if you're social distancing, you're going to be okay. Yeah? You, if you're social distancing, you're outside, that's fine. And I can understand why the government aren't saying we're going to bring um, the rule of six in like sooner. I think there'll be a massive kind of social benefit to do that. But unfortunately, of course, people aren't going to be able to not go back to people's houses. I suppose that's the kind of fear that the government have. And they probably have got really good research about that, you know, Um, that if you go to the park or whatever, then it's really difficult for people then not to kind of just pop around for a cup of tea type thing. Um, And inside is the problem. Inside is where it spreads to a massive degree, you know. A report came out the other day saying that the um, Bournemouth Beach, which was this infamous uh, event last summer, where thousands of people were on Bournemouth Beach. Bournemouth, I know Bournemouth Beach, of course I bloody do. And it's a long beach, you know, and there were thousands of people on it. And not a single case of COVID-19 was, um, uh, you know, just ascribed, is that the word? (laughs) Ascribed to Bournemouth Beach. So, I mean, it's, if you're sitting on a beach, you've got the bloody wind coming into your face. So, of course, you're not going to get COVID-19, for Christ's sake. Like, it may be the case that some guy that's COVIDed up, like, falls on you and, like, you know, coughs in your face or whatever. But the chances of that really are, are so slim. And it's amazing. Like, we're so lucky to have Dartmoor on our doorstep, as we do. And, you know, my mate says, I am always on bloody Dartmoor. And, you know, you would be too. But it is incredibly luxurious and kind of ridiculous, really, that we've got just miles and miles and miles and miles of open moorland that nobody's at. I mean, if even if like 10,000 people go to bloody Dartmoor, it's still a tiny amount of people. Like, obviously, you know what I mean? Because Dartmoor is just massive, you know, you don't see anyone. And obviously nobody goes there anyway, just like a handful of people go there anyway, you know. So I understand that I'm really, really fortunate. And so, you know, I'm aware 
that there's massive amounts of space around the places where I go when I go outside the flat, you know, which isn't often, actually. Um, but having said that, you know, it is uh, essential that we get out and it is essential that we kind of, you know, stay in touch with people. Um, something really good has happened the last couple of days. I've started to receive the uh, the kind of reports that people who've contributed in the past to this podcast, they've started to come in, some really lovely ones. Um, so that's really, really good. I'm looking forward to playing them um, for you. But yeah, it is tough. It is really tough. Uh, but we've just got to hang on there for a couple of weeks more, or, you know, a couple of months more, really. Um, you know, the vaccines are going into people's arms every day. Like, you know, hundreds of thousands every day, even on a slow day. And we've had a couple of slow days this month. It's still hundreds of thousands a day. You know what I mean? We're over 19 million now. And there's a plan to, um, you know, get everybody sorted by the middle of July. All adults in the UK, which is really excellent, you know. But as difficult as it is, we, have need, we do need to, as difficult as it is, we do need to, you know, kind of hold our nerves hold our nerves <laughs> is that I think it's hold our nerve isn't it yeah nerves So in the United States this week, Joe Biden gave a really touching uh, speech to mark like an unbelievable uh, kind of moment in in the history of COVID-19 in the US. Um, 500,000 people dead because of it. Uh, it was really good, really affecting speech. And obviously this is a man that has known loss in his life, you know, tragic loss. And he speaks in a way that only people that have experienced loss can can speak. Um, so here he is. Today we mark a truly grim, heartbreaking milestone. 500,071 dead. That's more Americans who have died in one year in this pandemic than in World War I. World War II and the Vietnam War combined. That's more lives lost to this virus than any other nation on Earth. But as we acknowledge the scale of this mass death in America, we remember each person and the life they lived. I know all too well. I know what it's like to not be there when it happens. I know what it's like when you are there, holding their hands, as you look in your eye and they slip away. That black hole in your chest, you feel like you're being sucked into it. 
the survivor's remorse, the anger, the questions of faith in your soul. For some of you, it's been a year, a month, a week, a day, even an hour. And I know that when you stare at that empty chair around the kitchen table, it brings it all back, no matter how long ago it happened, as if it just happened that moment you look at that empty chair. The birthdays, the anniversaries, the holidays without them, and the everyday things, the small things, the tiny things that you miss the most, that scent when you open the closet, that park you go by that you used to stroll in, that movie theater where you met, <laughs> the morning coffee you shared together, the bend in his smile, the perfect pitch to her laugh. So in Scotland now, this extraordinary uh, kind of battle is happening uh, in the SNP. The former first minister, the Scottish version of prime minister, like the, the you know, the most important political figure in Scotland, and Scotland, for international listeners, Scotland is part of the United Kingdom, but it's devolved government, so they've got lots of uh, powers. Um, and the SNP have been in power for a long time, and there's a, an election in a couple of months, I think, and they're certainly tipped to continue to be in power. And the SNP stands for the Scottish National Party, and they've said that uh, they had a referendum a couple of years ago, what, about five years ago or so, and they lost. Uh, the referendum was, do you want to set up an independent you know, country, an independent Scotland, independent from the rest of the United Kingdom? Um, and people said uh, no to, um, to that, and it was a 10% loss. But the polls for a long time now have said, yes, we do want to be independent, mainly because of the Brexit vote, whereby the majority of Scots voted no to Brexit. But of course, fucking England voted yes. So <laughs> fuck you then, you know, we're going to leave. <laughs> so we left Europe to the absolute consternation of all the Scottish people. Uh, my mother is Scottish, by the way, so I'm allowed to do a Scottish accent. I'm Scottish, for Christ's sake. And I'm also Irish as well, right? I know that I keep saying this, like, every couple of months or so, but uh, it's very important that, you know, new listeners know who they're listening to. <laughs> anyway, um, so, yeah, like, this massive deal, like, you know, the kind of former leader of the country, who's the guy that kind of... Um, you know, Nicholas Sturgeon is the is the current first minister, and Alex Salmond, you know, essentially kind of was was the her what's the word like mentor? That's the word was her mentor for years and years and years, and now things are things are looking bad. So t today he gave evidence, and I'm going to play a little bit of that evidence, which is kind of incredible stuff. Evidence to this committee that had been set up to work out whether the Scottish government um, kind of like mishandled um, allegations against Alex Salmond um, 
that he went to court and kind of cleared his name in the civil court and also in the you know the uh, the criminal court as well both times he was found not guilty for various um, sexual sexual harassment and sexual abuse allegations so this is from the guardian alex sammons has suggested the weak and incompetent leadership of scotland's institutions could undermine the case for independence in a bitter attack of on his former allies and party the former first minister said huge deficiencies had been exposed in the running of the scottish government in the crown office as he blamed both institutions for forcing him to live through a nightmare during the last three years salmon told a hollywood hollywood is the name of the kind of parliament in um in in uh, edinburgh hollywood inquiry he had sought independence all of my political life but that must be accompanied by institutions whose leadership is strong and robust and capable of protecting each and every citizen from arbitrary authority he added in one extraordinary allegation salmon said the scottish government had failed to disclose to the police that leslie evans scotland's chief civil servant had spoken to two women who had indicated they could accuse him of sexual harassment before their complaints were formally made. Salmon said the police had served a warrant on the government seeking disclosure of that kind of evidence, but it was not given to them. The Crown Office had not been told, nor had his criminal trial. That's obstruction of justice, he told the committee. The Crown Office, by the way, is the Scottish equivalent of, um, is it called the the PPS, Public Prosecution Service? Basically the kind of organisation that works out whether um, the police have got a a case, you know, a case that's strong enough to go to court. It was the government who were found to have been acted unlawfully, unfairly and tainted by apparent bias. I know that the First Minister asserts that I have to prove a case. I don't. That has already been done. There have been two court cases, two judges, one jury. In this inquiry, it's the Scottish Government, a government which has already admitted to behaving unlawfully, who are under examination. I watched in astonishment on Wednesday when the First Minister of Scotland, the First Minister of Scotland, used a Covid press conference a COVID press conference to effectively question the result of a jury. Still, I said nothing. Well, today, that changes. I have no incentive or advantage in revisiting the hurt and shock of the last three years from a personal perspective, or indeed from the perspective of two complainants failed by the government and then forced directly against their express wishes into a criminal process. This now admitted action neither served the wishes of the complainants nor the interests of justice. For two years and six months, this has been a nightmare. In fact, I have every desire to move on, to turn the page, to resist talking yet again about a series of events which have been amongst the most wounding that any person can face. But the reason I'm here today is because we can't turn that page nor move on until the decision-making which is undermining the system of government in Scotland is addressed. The competence and professionalism of the civil service matters. 
the independence of the Crown Office as acting in the public interest matters. Acting in accordance with legal advice matters. Concealing evidence from the courts matters. The duty of candour of public authorities matters. Democratic accountability through Parliament matters. Suppressing evidence from parliamentary committees matters. And yes, ministers telling the truth to Parliament matters. The day such things come to not matter would be a dark and dangerous one for Scotland. Collectively, these events shine a light <clears throat> on a government whose actions are no longer true to the principles of openness, accountability and transparency, which are the core principles on which this Scottish Parliament was founded. I remember I was there. The failures of leadership are many and obvious, and yet, convener, not a single person has taken responsibility, not a single resignation, not a single sacking, not even an admonition. Instead, we have promotions or extensions of contracts and self-serving defences. The government acted illegally, but somehow nobody's to blame. Delay and obstruction in making evidence available. A committee has been asked to do its job with both hands tied behind its back and a blindfold on. Witness after witness later adjusting evidence delivered under oath. Were it not for the independence of the judiciary, the robust scrutiny of the court of session and the common sense of a jury made up of members of the public, the matters before this committee would never have come to light and indeed no one would have cared about this inquiry. The Scottish courts emerged from these events with a reputation enhanced. Can those leading the government and the Crown Office say the same? Some people say that the <coughs> failures of these institutions, the blurring of the boundaries between party, government and prosecution service, mean that Scotland is in danger of becoming a failed state. I disagree. The Scottish civil servant hasn't failed. Its leadership has failed. The Crown Office hasn't failed. Its leadership has failed. Scotland hasn't failed. Its leadership has failed. Episode 212. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great weekend if it is the weekend. And we are now going to think about this single-celled slime mould with no nervous system. But they can remember food locations. Isn't that incredible? Absolutely incredible, yes. So think about a slime mould. Single cells with no nervous system. Three, two, one. <laughs> what am I doing? One, two, that's Ted Rogers, isn't it? Yeah, Ted Rogers. Um, my parents met Ted Rogers once. They did. Anyway, one, two, three. Fucking <laughs> facing it all from. Ready? One, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. Take care of yourselves. Have a great week. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs>
Welcome to Paranormal Blip. That music can only mean it's Paranormal Blip. And today we're looking at George Knapp. George Knapp is a reporter and he works for a television station based in Las Vegas, in Nevada. And also in Nevada is Area 51. And he he became friendly with this guy called Lear. Not King Lear, but the Lear man who was the son of the other Lear man. And Lear made the Learjet. Do you remember the Learjet? Yeah. And he gave George Knapp and George Knapp's television um, news channel uh, the inside scoop on the bloody stealth bomber, no less. Yeah, the stealth bomber. So Lear had um, proved himself to be a good old scoopster with the big stealth bomber story, the little TV show, uh, TV station that Knapp works for just like a local you know kind of las vegas nevada um, tv news station they broke the story of the stealth bomber which obviously is a big was a big story back in the when was that mid 80s i guess yeah late 80s i don't bloody know i guess sometime in the late 80s yeah and um so old nappy pap <laughs> said right you've got any more of this stuff Leah? and Leah said oh mate you know Area 51? Yeah. Well, you never guess what they're doing down there. Well, what are they doing? Well, anyway, but basically, this dude, Bob Lazar, known affectionately as Robert Lazar, in this report I'm about to play you, came out. First of all, uh, he came out saying his name was Dennis, but he came out saying, yep, there's uh, some wacky shit going down on the uh, um, on Area 51, in Area 51, including flying saucers and all sorts. So Nap, that was the beginning of Nap's kind of fascination in um, UFOs, and he's been around the world ever since, and he's, he's a really good reporter. He's got that kind of beautiful, gritty um, American reporter voice that I absolutely love, and I wish that I could do it, but I can't. As a kind of that, you know, he's kind of drunk a bit too much, you can tell, you know, and he's probably smoked a bit too much as well. He's got a kind of beautiful tombra. (laughs) That's the main reason I like this guy, because of his voice. Anyway, you're going to hear this bloody bastard's voice in a second. But um, anyway, he's he's done, been doing this for 30 years now, and there's lots of stuff on YouTube about George Knapp, K-N-A-P-P, if you want to you know, deep dive into it, but it's very interesting stuff. He's a very good reporter. He doesn't just do UFO stuff, but of course he's been kind of um, made famous for his UFO um, reporting and investigations. And um, so this week's episode of Paranormal Blip is George Knapp, and here's a little bit of a history of him and Robert Lazar, and if you've got Netflix, in the UK at least, there's a very good documentary 
about Bob Lazar, which is a bit kind of, you know, when I first saw it a couple of months ago, I thought, oh, this is a bit wanky. It's like fucking, who's that guy, Mickey Rourke? There's this voiceover, very pretentious voiceover. Um, but if you kind of strip away all of the kind of ridiculousness of it, and there is a bit of, you know, kind of style over substance of that documentary. I think it's called Bob Lazar UFOs and Flying Saucers and something like that. But the actual footage of Lazar and what he says, especially when it comes to the uh, metamaterials that I was talking about last week, is quite interesting. Very good, actually. He, in fact, draws um, a little sketch of how metamaterials are made, apparently. Um, anyway, the, the, the Lazar is a kind of interesting case. Um, but Matt, I uh, might, might come back to Lazar later, but certainly um, George Knapp is a very compelling figure in this whole world of, you know, the paranormal because he's a proper reporter, you know what I mean? Like a kind of a beat reporter that's been doing this for years and years and he's kind of like broken lots of stories outside of the UFO world as well. And there's something very kind of cynical and real about him that I really like. And it all comes down to the voice with George. And it all comes down to the voice. <laughs> anyway, here he is. No one who knew Area 51 from the inside ever talked publicly about the saucer stories. Well, there's several, uh, actually nine uh, flying saucers, flying discs, uh, that are out there of extraterrestrial origin. The live interview with the shadowy dentist drew international attention. Portions were broadcast by radio in six European countries and in a nationally televised TV special in Japan. Actually nine uh, flying saucers, flying discs. Despite numerous inquiries and feelers, Dennis has remained anonymous until now. His real name is Robert Lazar, a young scientist with eclectic interests. The choice of Dennis was an inside joke. He says that's the name of his superior at Groom Lake. It wasn't a joke to Dennis. He called right after and he said, do you have any idea what we're going to do to you now? And I, I said, well, no. He hung up the phone. Lazar's story is by any standards fantastic. He says he's telling it in order to protect himself. He says he was hired to work at an area called S4, which is a few miles south of Groom Lake. At S4, he says, are flying saucers, antimatter reactors, and other working examples of technology that is seemingly beyond human capabilities. Right, this, this came from somewhere else. I mean, as bizarre as that is to believe, but I mean, it's there, I saw it. I know what the current state of the art is and in, in physics, and it's, it can't be done. So there's George Knapp. Um, yeah, really interesting figure, I think. So see you next week for next week's uh, Paranormal Blip and for next week's show. Probably up at the weekend at some point next week. And, uh, well, definitely, uh, hopefully Friday night. And take care of yourselves. See you later.